it's okay that you're not doing it as well as you were before the pandemic. You're not doing it as well as somebody else is doing it, but that you are making the most of this situation at this point in your life right now. That's all we can do. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We are super excited to share this next conversation with you. We had a really lovely conversation with Dr. Kiba Rogers. She is the CEO and founder of Grace, Growth, and Greatness Psychological Services. And she is a licensed psychologist and certified school psychologist. She primarily works with kids. And we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about uh, the mental health and well being of kids on this pod. But we know that a bunch of you out there are moms and dads and even Zoe herself is a mom. And it's certainly an important topic now more than ever just to try to get underneath what is going on with our kids in light of everything we've all been experiencing these last couple of years. Dr. Kiba also has an area of her practice focused primarily on mental health support for Black girls, which is certainly an area of mental health that hasn't gotten nearly enough attention. So it's really a lovely practice and conversation. Kiba is just a force of amazing energy and Kaya want to just give her a hug. So have a listen. Enjoy. Thanks so much. So what if I told you your morning coffee could make you smarter or that your afternoon dark chocolate habit could also provide the most powerful immune support available in nature? You'd probably say I was full of shiitake. That's a mushroom joke because we're a mushroom company, Earth and Star, bringing you the amazing benefits of functional mushrooms in your favorite everyday products. We make coffee, tea, snacks, and more, all with a whopping 2,000 milligrams of adaptogen extracts like lion's mane for brain power, chaga for immune support, and cordyceps for physical stamina. Crack open a can of our certified organic plant-based lattes and cold brew, or choose our ground coffee to brew at home just the way you like it. Sweet tooth? Try our four flavors of delicious dark chocolate bars or our cute little drops to put in your favorite beverage. Every Earth and Star product is 100% organic, gluten and dairy free with zero refined sugars, fillers or gums because gross. But do they taste like mushrooms? No, they taste like coffee, matcha, chocolate bars and everything else you already consume. They just come with extra superpowers. Visit earthandstar.com and use the code podcast to get 15% off your first order. Earth and Star, your daily routine elevated. We're very happy that you're here, at least while you are. And officially, we want to welcome Dr. Kiba Rogers. We're so happy to have you. I'm so excited to dig into this conversation. Welcome. Thank you. Will you give us your, I guess, your little quick blurb? You're, you're the founder of, or how do you consider it? It's Grace, Growth, and Greatness so, Psychological Services. Yes, but my quick blurb is I'm awesome. That's my quick blurb. The slightly longer blurb is uh, yes, the CEO and founder of Grace, Growth, and Greatness Psychological Services. 
I am a New York State licensed psychologist, nationally certified school psychologist, diplomat for American Board of School Neuropsychology. All of that means is I work with children, adolescents, and adults across a number of issues, usually relating to education, trauma, authenticity, those kinds of things. And I've been doing that now for about 18 years. So I just started the practice about two years ago, 2019. The private practice. And so prior to that, you were mostly in schools and organizations? So so I've worked in schools, K through 12. I worked in schools, colleges, and I've also worked in residential treatment, hospitals. So I have done a large gamut of things to get to this point. Now I'm happily at the point where I get to choose the environment I'd like to be in. And it is quite a blessing. (laughs) I I could use some grace and some growth. Maybe we should just like move into my house for like a week and just, you know, observe observe my children. (laughs) Tell me what you think. (laughs) I was just like, your house is the source of not so much grace and growth. So maybe you need... Here's what's interesting about grace and growth. I, when I was thinking about opening a practice, so in truth, I I thought about it for about 10 years. And then I finally said, okay, I think now is the time. And I thought, well, what am I going to call it? So I don't know, for like a month before, it took probably about a month before I really settled in on a name. And someone gave me the advice of like, well, well, what is it that you're trying to do? Like overall, what are you trying to do? And I was like, you know, I just want people to be kinder to themselves, right? Be kinder to each other. And I don't mean that in like a fake way. I mean that in a real, like authentic way. Like have some compassion for yourself. You're going to mess up and you're going to need to like be okay with recovering from that. And so the motto is to extend grace to yourself and others. Encourage growth for yourself and others. And then we can expect greatness. Right. When people feel like they can mess up and be safe and not judged and have an opportunity to explore growth in an area, then their greatness comes out. So that's where grace, growth, and greatness comes from. Corny, but I love it. No, it's not. It's wonderful. <laughs> I know like it makes so much sense when we hear it, but I'm so curious. Like, do kids grasp that? Because I feel like that's I feel like I mean, I just remember. Kids do. Yeah. Like I was hard on myself when I was a kid. I think I was like, I had this idea of how I was supposed to be that like I was probably a bit of a perfectionist as only child we can get into my stuff but I'm curious (laughs) like how kids digest that yeah so it's hard for kids to really for many kids to really think about it being okay that they made a mistake because they often think about especially younger kids they think about other people's response to their mistake Mm -hmm. so if other people extend them grace it is slightly easier for them to extend themselves grace. But if other people were really upset and they can tell that they were upset, they have a hard time saying like, it's, it was okay that you made that mistake. So this is why it's so important for us who have children in our lives to model appropriate responses <laughs> to mistake. And when you don't, acknowledging that, right? Because we all mess up, right? We, someone breaks something, we get mad. And it's okay to come back and say, you know what, broke that thing. That thing was really meaningful to me, but it's not more important to me than you are, right? Like, that's the reality of it. And I'm sorry that I yelled. And so now I'd like to ask your forgiveness and also let you know it's okay that that, that's broken. And you don't have to be upset with yourself either. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's funny. I think I always try and make it a point to, I feel like I do this kind of, <laughs> I think I do, sort of naturally anyway. Like I think if you make a mistake or you trip and you fall or you spill something or break something, like definitely kind of just laugh about it. Mm-hmm. Most part, <laughs> try and just yeah. like make light of it. And I could see like how quickly my kids look at me for the reaction that I'm going to have. And they're just yeah. like, like on the edge of their seat, like, is she going to freak out? And I like the whole like bodily shift when mm-hmm. like don't freak out and you're just like, just moving along, like just yeah. moving through it. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I, the modeling thing is pretty, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> It is a lot of pressure and they're, but they're paying attention to Mm -hmm. everything. I, you know, I, I was with my nieces. This was a few years ago when they were younger. One that I'm talking about is now she just turned 14, but she was about 10 at the time. And they were, you know, a couple of them were at my house and, you know, I don't know, one of them asked me something, but I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and I couldn't hear. I opened the door and I'm brushing my teeth. I have an electric toothbrush. So, you know, I'm walking out and I, you know, I do like this, like, so she can tell me again so I can hear. And then I'm pointing because I'm not, can't talk. I'm brushing my teeth, but I'm pointing to tell her what, you know, yes or no, whatever she's asking me. Do you know when my 10 year old niece went in the bathroom, what did she do? She came out brushing her teeth, (laughs) right? So I said, oh goodness. (laughs) So I let her do that. And then afterwards I said, I was not a good model for you earlier. Right, like you should, you should be in the bathroom when you brush your teeth because you may spit, it may be on the floor, like you know. And so she goes, but you you were coming in the living room to talk to us, and I was like, I know that was a poor choice. <laughs> so we're all gonna stay in the bathroom from now on to brush our teeth, you know. But it, it was like immediate reminder of like she's watching, they're watching, they're always watching, and That's everything amazing. that you do, it makes a difference. You know, and it's not so much like whether it's a good or a bad thing. It's more just like they they are children are reminders of like the best of us as humans and the worst of us as humans because they're mirrors. They reflect back to us what we give them. So when we do things, they're oh okay, that's the way it's done. I'm gonna do that too. And if that's a good thing, it's like we're like oh we're so proud. And if it's a bad thing, you're like where did you get that from? Oh, I know, but like for the record, when my six year old, you know, says crazy SHIT to me and like puts his hand around my, he's like, I don't, I never did that. Where is he getting this? Anyway, we're going to talk about my six year old later. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's a separate appointment. <laughs> other people, I mean, you're not the only model right. for your kid, right? right. So when they all. do things that you don't, you've never seen before, just know that they've got it from something. I mean, he's six. He, he didn't think of it on his own. Right. <laughs> like, he got it from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I guess just like zooming out a bit, like what, I mean, you know, we're talking about self-care. We're talking about children. We're obviously in a very unique, crazy moment right now with COVID and these younger, these youngins having, you know, a really difficult time navigating just like the inconsistencies of like, you know, socializing, obviously the fear around getting sick, potentially dying, people dying. I mean, the whole I, the whole subject of death just has to be its own sort of separate beast for like kids who otherwise wouldn't have been, maybe wouldn't have been introduced to it so early and maybe just so like hit over the head with it. And I know, you know, 
like my kids have encountered grief and like have lost close family members. And that was just, it's still like, it's like it never goes away and it really impacts them. So I'm just curious, like, <laughs> have, what have you seen in, in that respect? And like, how, how have you, um, I don't know, how have you suggested like navigating it to kids, to parents? Yeah, so I've seen a wide range of response from parents, meaning like for some parents, they've been really open and honest and transparent with their children about people dying and or people being very ill and have the possibility of dying. And then the other side of that is the parents that have chosen to keep that information away from their kids. Um, so even though the kids have lost people, they've chosen not to share that and have kind of created a narrative that, you know, like this person is away or they're busy or, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would say I definitely lean towards the side of being very honest and then allowing the child to grieve in a way that feels good to them, right? Here's the reality. We all know this as adults, but we sometimes forget when our children are involved. The reality is when people die, we miss them immediately. We don't miss them five years from now. Like we miss them immediately and we keep missing them. And children experience that as well. For whatever reasons those are, those usually are kind of specific for children. Oh, I really liked when grandpa and I did this or when auntie and I did that. And so I encourage them to grieve in a way that feels good and feels like it honors the person that they lost. So what did you like most about auntie? Okay, well, make a card that, you know, has all of those elements or do a collage of pictures with, from you and your aunt or, you know, just something that says like, we're not going to pretend that this doesn't hurt for you. Mm-hmm. We're going to take some time to acknowledge that and have you do something that gives you some time to process. Yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. I think, I mean, not, not speaking from a position of having children, but even as adults, I think oftentimes we are conditioned to not feel our feelings because it's easier, because it it's shows weakness, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. obviously talking about modeling, you know, if we ourselves are doing that because we can't handle something, then that is, of course, kids are going to maybe feel, you know, shame or uncomfortable about having an honest reaction. And the reality is we probably should all react somewhat childlike mm-hmm. in order to move through it. Yeah. But I feel like that's just easier said than done because we're so conditioned to kind of block it out. Absolutely. I mean, even just how we respond to like, if, have you guys ever been, I know this hasn't happened to every person, but have you ever been at a job and one of your coworkers got devastating news during the day? Someone in their family died or is gravely ill, right? And the person, you know, maybe looks shocked. And then what is the next thing they immediately do? They start apologizing to everyone around them for how they're making other people feel, how they think they're making other people feel, right? And here's the reality, like it's horrible news. You're in the middle of your workday. You have to figure out what you need to do from this point forward. Why are you apologizing to us? Mm-hmm. We are sorry that this is your reality right now. Like it's, we're, we're saddened that you have to go through this. And now what can we do 
to help? Like logistically, are, are there things that, that we need to do right. so that you can go do whatever you need to do to heal or deal with this information? Yeah, it's so interesting. We're just, I think, especially as, you know, an American culture, I mean, I won't speak to all cultures because I think to some degree, we do actually process grief very differently depending on where in the world you're talking. But I feel like we really have conditioned ourselves to just shut it down, stiff up our lip and like, you know, again, to your point, like apologize for how I'm making you feel when the reality Mm -hmm. is like, this is my thing and I shouldn't have to go through it alone if I'm surrounded by people who care even a little bit about my well-being, but we just don't do that. Right. Well, so kind of piggybacking off of what Zoe was asking in this context of, because I think that we have spent, you know, I certainly, you know, I think there's been a great many conversations and articles and books at this point on the topic of, you know, the sort of after effects of COVID and impact of, of this pandemic experience on children. What do you feel like there's anything that has like not been addressed? Like, is there something the big headlines and the big conversations have missed that you're seeing? I mean, I know we've talked a lot about uh, socialization, but I guess I would like to kind of zone in on humanity, right? Which is related to socialization. But like quite literally, kids have forgotten how to be people who care about other people. How do you see that? Like, how does that manifest? Yeah, like, so the kids are, have been in a bubble, right? And so in their bubble, whether it was just them or them and their siblings, them and their family, or maybe they had a pod of, neighbors, you know, whatever that was, these were selected groups of people. When we select groups of people, it's usually the people we like, usually the people who don't bother us as much. We might not have to compromise as much. We might not have to consider them as much. And so then we expand that and we go back to school where everybody's there, even the people who we don't so much care about or like. And now we have to remember that what that kid wants also matters. That it's not just what Mm -hmm. I want in this moment Mm -hmm. or what I think is best to do in this moment. But now we're back in community and we've got to think about what's good for everybody in this community, not just me in this moment. And me and my pod and my family comes first, second, third, and everyone else is fourth class citizen. Yeah, exactly. I I remember those like very early days when we thought it was going to be like maybe a month or two Mm -hmm. of, you know, lockdown. And it was like, you have to sort of stick within like a pod, whatever. And like, we all kind of like, there were like three families in my kitchen at the table. And we're like, all right, guys, this is the select bunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are we all on board? No one else is getting in this pod. It was uh, it was definitely like, you know, you're excluding a certain amount of people, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess the kids who have, you know, obviously big families, a lot of siblings kind of won in this deal because mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they probably weren't quite as impacted or isolated. Well, but I guess to the point that Dr. Cuba just made, like, they may have won in that respect, but have they now had like a tremendous disservice to at least some of the younger members of that mm-hmm, tribe mm-hmm. who like literally don't even understand now how to socialize outside of that right. little network because they haven't been conditioned at this point. Like that's yeah. oh, no, it's not like as opposed to like an only child or just like yeah. Right. So it's interesting because I was just talking with a group of adults about a six-year-old and. 
six-year-old or eight-year-old? Six or eight, I'm not sure. I don't remember. But I was saying how, you know, they were talking about the struggles, the control, the, you know, wanting to do everything that kid wants to do when that kid wants to do it. And I was saying to them, like, you know, we really have to recall, like, the fact that the way we learn those things when we're children is by doing them like in real time. We, we don't learn them by talking about them from a distance or watching them while somebody else is doing it. And for a year and a half or a little over a year, there was no opportunity for that, right? Like there was no opportunity for the natural conflict that comes up on the playground. There was like, I don't want to say there was no opportunity. It was limited opportunity for the natural conflict that comes up on the playground. You know, the, you know, the value of trying something that someone else wants to do and then figuring out that maybe you also like that, right? Like, because you gave it a shot, but it's a challenge. And when kids were really young, so that eight-year-old, yeah, it's like they were six when COVID happened, like six and a half, like, I, you know. They were just barely getting their social skills off the ground. And then like, boom, artificial world created and and nothing safe anymore. So it's a really, it's challenging. And then for the older kids, they kind of got used to doing, because they know a little more, they got used to doing things that they want to do, mm-hmm. right? Like when they want to do them and now they're like, oh, this is boring or this is just, why do we have to do this? And who cares about this? And it's like, well, actually, like five of your classes. So that's why we're doing it. You know, you know. It just feels like if I mean, not to be like so doom and gloom, but it just feels like these layers just sort of keep getting removed. And we really don't even like we have no yeah. concept of how this is going to create these adults, you know. And in you know, I, I, here's what I tell the educators that work with them and then the parents is it's it's okay, guys. Like, all we have to do is just work on it. If, if this kid was two years younger, how would you respond? Like, just respond like that. Right. Right. Like, we, we have to respond in a way that suggests, like, there's room for growth here. It's okay that you don't recall. It, yes, two years ago, you were doing this. And for some reason, you don't know how to do this anymore. Let me remind you. Mm-hmm. Right. And validating that it's hard for the kids. Right. I know it's really hard. Frustrate. These kids are so frustrated. I, I was just talking about a class of third graders who are like the teacher said, they're very angry, they're frustrated, they're, you know, and it, they're like, they just don't have any patience, mm-hmm. right? And I, I said to them, I go, yeah, <laughs> but when did they have the opportunity to learn that? Like they were six when COVID hit, you know, like, this is what we would be to, and we, for a six-year-old, we would be like, okay, I know it's hard, hun, but we, we gotta share, gotta mm-hmm. have patience, like, in just a few minutes, we're gonna be able to do this, and I was like, you don't have to speak to them like that, but it's really the same idea. We, mm-hmm. we gotta say, like, I know, this is very hard, guys. It's really hard. We've been in quite the situation here, and now we all have to figure out how to be in community again. It's really challenging. Sometimes we really just want to do what we want to do. We all feel like that sometimes. I was going to say, Zoe, can you just like say that to me on a daily basis, please? <laughs> Let me write it down. What do you want me to use? What do you need me to say? <laughs> oh, I know you're frustrated. We're all doing our best. You can oh, this is what I say to my children on like an hourly basis. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, God. Can I get your take on... I'm sorry. I've just... You know, because you're a resource and I'm going to just take advantage right now. Um, <laughs> on the... Yeah, I think it's a pretty universal thing right now for everyone who's having... Who has frustrated children because of all the very obvious reasons. And, you know, my main source, my primary source of my sort of like North Star of like parenting is Dr. Becky, which I'm sure we're all very aware of right <laughs> now. She... Whatever. She's sort of like very digestible snippets of information for like child rearing. But anyway, I, I was... Having, I've had this conversation with other parents in the past that is just like the, the time out versus the time in. Mm-hmm. I would love to get your opinion on that because it is very confusing to me. And I'm sure it all depends on your child and you, obviously. But I had never heard of a time in and felt really just like, you know, I don't know, ignorant, I guess, <laughs> when I was introduced to this concept. Guess I'm not that woke. But, you know, I guess the idea is basically, and I thought it was a good idea. Yeah, like you, you kind of you remove your child when they're freaking out, and instead of saying like you're going to sit over here, have a timeout, and sit in your own shitty feelings by yourself, mm-hmm. go you go deal with that, and I'm be over here when you're ready. Then you can rejoin. So you still remove them, but you stay with them, mm-hmm. and you kind of stay with them in their feelings. Like you, you know, you're kind of there for them while they're freaking out while they're going through all these very like big, scary emotions that they can't regulate and they don't even know what they are probably half the time or why they're mm-hmm. feeling. Sometimes it's effective, sometimes it isn't. But I'm just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm frustrated like in, ter- yeah. in terms of like what to do with this general, you know, the age when kids have these total freakouts, which probably happens for quite some time. And what, like, do you have any, like any pearls, any suggestions on that? Yeah, so... When we are trying to regulate emotions, children and adults, we all need different things in different moments, right? So time out and, you know, go deal with your emotion works really effectively for kids who truly need time away in order to be okay, right? Like sometimes you're triggered by another person's body close to yours, right? Because you're like, I feel angry, right? Like, and you standing next to me feels like you're, you know, it's almost like you're telling me like, I can't be angry, right? Like you, it almost feels like for some kids, when they get to the point where they can verbalize, they'll say, I feel pressured to not be angry, right? When they have adults next to them while they're having an angry episode, and so it really depends on like your child and in that moment, I am a big fan of trying to communicate with the child during the meltdown, right? Wow, buddy, that's, oh, it looks like you're really upset. Is it upset? Is that the feeling? What's the feeling you're having right now? Oh, I'm so frustrated, right? Oh, wow. You Do you want time alone or do you want me to come talk to you privately? And let them figure out, like, do I want to go by myself to my room or do I need somebody else right now? I I can tell you that, right? For the younger kids who are not as verbal, you know, two, three years old, just like you would with time, you kind of walk with them to the space and you say, would you like me to sit with you or do you want to be by yourself? Mm. And let them decide. Yeah. Because they are the only ones that know what their body is feeling and what they need, what's going to feel comforting to them versus what's going to feel triggering to them. And the challenge is sometimes as adults, we try to do things that we think would be comforting, but that's not what our children feel. 
But is there this thing too with kids? And I find that this is probably, it's probably not dissimilar for adults too, right? Like this idea that is in that moment of rage, the very thing that you're saying, like you don't want is actually what you need or like are asking for, but you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When kids are like, leave me alone, get out of my room. And they're screaming because they're just so angry. And really, like, I don't think that my six-year-old wants me to like, Get out of his room. What I think he wants me to do is like scoop him up and just be like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have like a cuddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so here's the, here's the thing. Like, yeah. You can do both of those things by respecting his wishes first. Right. So, I mean, six year olds don't barely know what they want to eat. Right. They don't know. They can't manage themselves emotionally just yet, but they're working on it. And what you are trying to help them understand is you have a choice, buddy. Like I can either be here or not. And they said, get out. Oh my God, get out of my room. Like, okay, I'm going to go. But you know what? I'm going to come back in just a few minutes and turn on you, right? Because in that few minutes, maybe they've calmed down to the point where you can scoop him up, right? Mm-hmm. Where that now feels comforting because maybe they just needed a few moments alone. And it's just like adults, even when we say like, no, I want to be by myself. Sometimes it really is like, I just need a second to like figure out what it is that I'm actually feeling and what my thoughts are about this. And then when you come back, it's like, okay, now I want you here because now I, I'm ready to kind of process through this or I'm ready to like have some support in this moment. But for some people, depending on how they respond in stressful situations, for some folks, it's just like, get away from me. I, I don't want any of this, which is why it's challenging when you're, you're like, I'm just trying to help. This is what happens with little people and their friends all the time. Because other little people say, I was just trying to help. Mm-hmm. And they're like, get out of my face. <laughs> get away from me. You know? Yeah. Can I switch gears? Because I want to make sure we get to touch on this because it's such an important piece of the work that you do. Can you share with us what you're doing around your therapy for black girls program? So I well I don't have a program per se, but I I your efforts. I yes, I try very hard to now I'm like booked, but like I try very hard to open space for black girls and women because there's not a lot of spaces where Black girls, Black women feel accepted, feel understood, and can truly let down their guard and say what's actually on their mind, right? What's actually in their heart without being judged as weak or incompetent or, you know, any number of other things. So lots of my clients are Black girls and Black women. And I really do try hard to work with them on being their authentic self, being able to speak up about the things that are that's harming them about being able to say i no i cannot do that right no i do not want that yes i do want that and to be okay with making that choice even though that choice may make others in the space uncomfortable this is you know there's a a list of therapists therapy for black girls dr joy um I'm blanking on her last name right now. It's going to come back to me. She's in Atlanta, Georgia, and she put together this resource a few years ago, but of course it's grown exponentially. And it is really such a great way. And many different listservs have now started 
where you can actually seek out therapists of color, LGBTQ therapists, like really just people that connect with you on the identity factors that you think are most important Mm -hmm. for you. And the challenge is as a black girl, there is a lot of, in America, there's a lot of pressure to be the all-encompassing woman to everyone all the time and to do it all. And, you know, there's a lot of research on, for example, parentification of black youth, right? Black girls are doing a lot of adult-like things by the time they're 10 years old. That's the culture. That's, you know, it's also the need. Mm -hmm. Um, for someone to be able to help out perhaps with younger siblings or other responsibilities. And what happens is they grow up and then you feel like you have to do it all the time. And so my, you know, kind of approach is in this space, you get to be your true self. When you're talking to me, you get to say, this is really hard. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with this. Everyone thinks I'm doing great. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I am sad. I, you know, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And you can feel safe to do that because I'm not here to judge you, right? Because this is a place where you can be authentic. But how do we then get you to be more authentic in your, the spaces that you're in your everyday life? Not just once a week, mm-hmm. 45 minutes. Do you, I mean, I feel like it's a somewhat rhetorical question, but there's a stigma around therapy in the Black yeah. community. And what, what is, what? I mean, I know it's like a conversation for a whole other Mm-hmm. hour. But I mean, can you kind of just give us a little bit of, of context on that? Yeah. So I, I was saying in the Black community for many years, the way that the Black community dealt with any kind of ailment that was not physical, and sometimes even physical, is through the church. And so there's a lot of, you know, go speak to the pastor or read the Bible or pray. And all of those things I support. And also the recognition that sometimes it's beyond that level of, and it's necessary to speak with a mental health professional. I think there's so much confusion in the Black community about what mental illness actually is that sometimes it's like, oh, well, even what psychology is, right? Like I'm a psychologist, my my siblings, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, They'll make a comment like, well, you know, don't, well, you can't go to a shrink. And I'm like, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, well, n- well, not you, but like right. other people. And I'm like, no, I am them, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they are me, you know? And I'm like, I'm not the, so I, I sometimes I have to remind them, like, I'm not the only psychologist that's like me, mm-hmm. right? So they see me as like, no, but you're so different and, you know. And I'm like, yeah, and there are other people who you can also connect with who you might be able to talk to in the same way, you know? And they, it's so hard for them to see that as a reality. And I tell them, I go, I know I'm amazing, but I'm not the only one. There are many <laughs> amazing people out there doing great work in our community, and we have to be open to seeing that. So... You know, I'm so grateful for the women and the girls that I'm able to work with because I just feel like there's such a, not to be like so heavy, but the reality is they have an opportunity and I have an opportunity for this time in their life to encourage them to live their authentic lives and be their authentic selves at a space and time for the the young girls that 
they can take those lessons with them and really walk in the world in full view of who they are, not mm-hmm. who other people tell them they are. Mm-hmm. And that is what I'm passionate about, for them to show up in the world as them and know that who they are right now today, even if they have issues and difficulties, that is more than enough for any situation at any time. Yeah, it's a pretty good mission. Yeah. And how do you do that exactly with social media? <laughs> with yeah, social media? Influence you, social media. Uh, how do you get around what social it's, media you know, does to them? What's interesting with social media is I do have to remind, especially my adolescent clients, I do have to remind them that none of it is real, right? Like I, and I have to use real life examples, right? So I tell them, like sometimes I say, pull out your phone. Show me one of your best pictures that you just put on social media. And then I go, show me the outtakes, Mm -hmm. right? And for some of them, they've started deleting the outtakes because they don't want to deal with the reality of like, it took you two hours to get that photo, right? So stop pretending like you're the only person that's doing that. (laughs) This is what everybody's doing. Yeah. They're, you know, they're getting, they're, they're doing all of this with the lighting. They're moving it just right in the angles. And then we say, oh my God, they look so great. Oh, and then we wait for those same people who are fake and phony to like what we have presented. It's this feedback loop that is just so unbelievably toxic. Yeah. And we say all the time, like, we all know this, right? We all all know know it, but we can't pull the plug. We can't quite walk away from the the crazy addiction. And you don't need to walk away. You just need to put it where it belongs, which is in the category of like, this is not real. Right. 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 Like if you want real feedback, ask your real friends. Right. They'll tell you. They'll tell you, nope, that shirt ain't for you. Don't do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> or or yep, those that hairstyle looks good on you. You should post that. No, you know? did that to me the other day. We were just taking <laughs> we were taking photos the other day and I had a thing on and she goes, No. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was uh, no, and that's you know that's that's what a friend does. It is. right. I but can't it's see even it. even that sometimes we have to give those lessons to girls, especially I'm noticing mm-hmm. to let them know like that's not your friend being mean. That's your friend being your friend. Mm-hmm. Your friend should should not let you walk outside with something that you should not have on. Now, if you choose to wear it after they say that's not it for you, yeah, right. that's your choice. But just know they said it. <laughs> So you can't blame them if it doesn't uh, go over well with society, you know? (laughs) My brothers do this thing where they'll say like, oh, are you wearing that? And I always, every time I go, I guess not. Which part doesn't That's a dude thing. I feel like that is a tactic. Like men, my husband does that too. Like, oh, that's what you're wearing. I'm like, well, it's clearly what I'm wearing because I'm wearing it. So do you want to ask that question a different way? Yeah. Yeah. And I go, yeah, I, this is what I planned, but clearly you have a problem with it. Which part are we going to (laughs) change? You know? It's like, you're getting ready to go out. It's like, do you need more time to change or? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's usually it's usually the comment. Yeah. Deliciously passive aggressive. I love it. Well, we are coming up on time, but I want to make sure that you've had an opportunity to share the, the things that are important to you. So is there anything we haven't covered that you feel like you'd like to touch on? I would just say, you know, overall, we are all dealing with so much right now. And, you know, I find myself reminding adults a lot that 
all of us in the world, but also in the U.S. are dealing with the same things in terms of just getting back into work or school or whatever it is that we're doing. And I really think it's important just for us to have a little compassion for ourselves, right? And to recognize that we are, in fact, doing the best that we can. And if we are not, then what can we do to do better? Right. Really taking some time to think about is this the best I got right now? And if it is, being okay with that because we can't do more than what we can do. That's the reality of it. We have to have compassion for the fact that this is a challenging time and in most of our lifetimes. Shout out to the 105 year olds. For most of our lifetimes, this has not occurred before. Yeah. You know, so we really just have to figure out how to, you know, recognize our our humanity, our humanness. This is challenging. It's a hard time. And we're still amazing people. We're getting through it. We're getting through it together, hopefully. For those of us who are doing it alone, stop that. (laughs) Reach out to your your supports and do it together and uh, recognize that it's okay that you're not doing it as well as you were before the pandemic. You're not doing it as well as somebody else is doing it, but that you are making the most of this situation at this point in your life right now. That's all we can do. Can you just come over? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, I think that's just, it's very clear and very straightforward. And what's upsetting, I guess, is like, you know, this is two years later and we're still like these ripple effects will just continue. And for all these people who are like, okay, yeah, I know things are different. And like, yeah, we got the backs and the booster and whatever. And now we get to go back. It's like, no, we're not going back to, it just is not going to work the same way anymore. And the the stress and the trauma and the PTSD have not even fully manifested yet. Absolutely. And it won't be for a while now. And, you know, we all, I'm in the midst of making changes and making, you know, I'm just, if nothing else, I have really refocused on like, what is most important here in my life? What do I want to gain? What do I want to offer to the world? What am I here for, right? I'm clear on what I'm here for, but am I living out that purpose in a way that feels meaningful to me every day, right? And, you know, living through a pandemic for me really makes you shine a light on Actually, this is a waste of time. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, like, actually, I don't really like that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do more of this thing because this feels good to me. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big positives. People made major changes and usually, you know, for the better. Yeah. They would not have been forced to to look at otherwise. So, yeah. Silver, that is very comforting though. It's about, it is so straightforward, but it's like, it's so nice to just hear it from yes. someone just like very plainly just say it. Well, thank you, Dr. Kiba. This is all very informative and all necessary nice. and refreshing. <laughs> and thank we you know so you're, much. We know you're so overloaded, but we're happy to send people to your site so they can learn more. And yeah, you know, one of the things I'm going to start doing more of is um, starting in uh, February is neuropsych assessment. So that's another way that, you know, I'm really trying to help again, like, students of color who, I mean, it's just a shortage of folks of color who do this type of work. And 
So I'm just trying to offer, I'm trying to, you know, fill the gaps one person at a time. I mean, I'm one person, maybe five years from now, you guys will be talking to me and the Grace, Growth and Greatness will be an organization with employees and go ahead and put that out there in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, (laughs) We will be touching many, many lives exponentially. (laughs) Well, we hope that happens for you because it definitely seems well-deserved. Thank you. Yeah, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much and best of mm-hmm. luck with all of it. And um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you both. Such a pleasure. Appreciate you. Okay. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.